Actor Owen Wilson, a Dallas native, plays happy-go-lucky parts, but he attempted suicide last weekend. How does someone who seemingly has it all deal with this type of despair in themselves and a family member? And we'll ask an expert how immigration at its current rate will affect American society. Plus, tomorrow, Texas Republicans will signal their choice for president. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire. We will not falter. And we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. It's not the government's job to bail out speculators or those who made the decision to buy a home they knew they could never afford. President Bush talking today in the Rose Garden, really espousing some free market principles having to do with uh, the volatility in the housing market. He said that it's not the government's role to help homeowners in trouble. At least it's a very limited role. He does says that uh, he does say that lenders are the ones who need to help homeowners in trouble. I believe lenders have a responsibility to help these good people to renegotiate so they can stay in their home. Really better for a lender to renegotiate than to have to foreclose on that loan. And I think they do hold some responsibility because of some of the lending instruments that were put out there. A little bit of easy money, and now uh, the economy is reaping the consequences. We are going to talk a little bit about work and workers since it's Labor Day weekend. Uh, We are coming up on a three-day weekend. But uh, President Bush today said that some homeowners have fallen victim to unscrupulous lenders or really a little bit too optimistic about the market. Whatever the reason they chose this kind of mortgage, some borrowers are now unable to make their monthly payments or facing foreclosure. A couple of reasons. One, uh, the interest rates at their opening payments, maybe the first years of a loan were lower, and they keep going up and up and up with these uh, loans that expand the payments. Another reason is this whole idea of uh, lending the down payment to a borrower. If there's any drop in the real estate market, then you don't have any equity in your home or you're upside down, and that can put uh, people and banks in trouble. That's what we're facing right now in the economy. But uh, before I get to Labor Day and to work, uh, let me just tease the program here because we've got a lot today. I'm Penna Dexter sitting in for Dr. Johnson. First, I want to mention a program note on KCBI, and that is that the secret special that we aired a couple of weeks ago talking about this whole phenomenon, the law of attraction, think about it and it will come to you. We debunked that on KCBI in a special, and that special has been uh, 
widely acclaimed, and it will be repeated on Sunday night at 8 p.m. only on KCBI, and uh, also Monday night at 8 p.m. So if you didn't, if you missed the secret special, you might want to tune in one of those days. We're also going to talk today about how immigration will affect American society in the next 50 to 60 years if it stays on its current path. Do we need those workers, especially? with an aging population. We're going to ask Stephen Camerata of the Center for Immigration Studies. Also, this whole Owen Wilson story, it's sad because he's such a happy-go-lucky actor, at least the parts that he plays are that way. His family lives here in Dallas. They seem to be a very close family. His brothers are also actors. So how do you deal with suicide or attempted suicide in a family member? Debbie Turner dealt with this. Uh, She's written a book about it, and she is going to join us a little bit later in the program. Also, we'll talk about the Texas straw poll taking place this weekend. It's the first time there's been a straw poll in Texas. Does it matter? We will talk about that a little bit later in the program. Well, President Bush also in his Rose Garden speech, it's pretty sad. Uh, He said he's losing a press secretary. Tony Snow informed me he's leaving. And uh, I uh, sadly accept. Uh, He sadly accepts. uh, President Bush does bid farewell to Tony Snow. Tony Snow, of course, as many of you know, was a Fox News uh, commentator, had his own show, had his own radio show. Then uh, he uh, was hit with colon cancer and he had to stay away from the public eye for a while, had his colon removed, recuperated decided to go to the White House. And, uh, of course, he's a former speechwriter in the Reagan administration, went back to become the press secretary. He's been hit by cancer again, and he's been working. And you can see uh, the treatment has taken its toll. His hair is gray and thinning. He's thin. Now's the time, he says, to make some more money. Uh, He doesn't um, really need to uh, stay at the White House. He needs to take care of the future for his family. So it's pretty sad. But President Bush bid farewell to Tony Snow. We say to the man we admire a lot, good luck, Godspeed, and to Dana Perino. uh, Looking forward to working with him. Well, uh, we know the stock market is up a little over 100 points today. But um, so the Fed possibly made the right decision in not raising, not lowering its major interest rate um, because of these housing market troubles. They met in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and AP business editor Mark Hambrick reports that the Fed chairman, Ben Bernanke, stopped short of promising an interest rate cut because of these troubles. Speaking at a Fed conference in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, Bernanke says the central bank will, in his words, act as needed to limit the adverse effects on the broader economy that may arise from the disruptions in financial markets. He says the Fed will be continuing to monitor the situation. Many analysts believe that will translate to an interest rate cut at the next meeting, September 18th. Bernanke hasn't been as willing as his predecessor, Alan Greenspan, to lower interest rates to uh, inject the economy with some vitality. But the economy seems to be moving along with the exception of this whole problem in the housing market. Well, I want to talk a little bit about work since it's Labor Day. Of course, we're in uh, the end of summer. Summer is kind of winding down, and many of you hopefully have had a vacation, uh, gotten some rest away from work. But how do Americans think about work, and how should we think about work? I mean, work is something that's biblical. Uh, In the Bible, in 2 Thessalonians, it says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And Paul talked about how uh, even though he was serving 
those churches to whom he was ministering. He was not a burden to them financially. He had another side business where he made money and supported himself and those that were with him. And so, uh, you know, work is a good thing. It's a biblical thing. It's God's plan for us. Uh, and so it is a very interesting column that was uh, that appeared several weeks ago, actually, in the Wall Street Journal by someone that we quote every once in a while here on Jerry Johnson Live, Arthur Brooks. And he talked about how Americans actually are happy for the work that they have to do, that they get to do. And uh, when we compare ourselves with Europe, in Europe, they have much more vacation time than we do. And uh, we seem to be fine with that. The average U.S. worker takes 16 days of vacation every year, less than half of that typically taken by Germans. They take 35 days. The French take 37 days, and the Italians take 42 days. Uh, Some people say Americans live to work while Europeans work to live. And um, is that a good thing? What do you think? Would you rather have more vacation and less work? Or do you think it's a good idea to work and only take about 16 days of vacation each year? Are you happy for the amount of work that you do? Or do you wish you worked less? Or do you wish you worked more? You can give us a call if you want to weigh in on that on this uh, Friday before Labor Day weekend. The number is 800-881-9270. And, um, Americans apparently work 25 more hours each year than the Norwegians or the Dutch. In fact, the average retirement age for the European, for European men, is 60.5, and we know that Americans retire much later than that. Uh, The average U.S. worker, again, as I said, takes 16 days of vacation, which is a lot. It's just really a couple of weeks, which is a lot less than uh, what they take in Europe. In fact, the length of vacation time was a campaign issue in the French uh, election for president. The Wall Street Journal and Arthur Brooks asked the question, why do we have these differences? And he says there are two standard explanations, neither of which is really uh, correct and neither of which casts Americans in a very good light. First, one of the explanations that's out there is that Americans are emotionally stunted and that we're sort of addicted to work. And here's the quote from Time magazine. In the puritanical version of Christianity that has always appealed to Americans, religion comes packaged with a stern message that hard work is good for the soul. Modern Europe has avoided so melancholy a lesson. Well, ladies and gentlemen, maybe that's not so bad because Americans seem to be fairly happy with the amount of time that they work. The second explanation, we are under the yoke of a hard-bitten capitalism. It's sort of what President Bush was talking about. Uh, the government is not our provider. We are our providers. God is ultimately our provider. But uh, we are in his plan to work and to provide for ourselves. Uh, also, another explanation is that we're terrified of losing our jobs, but Arthur Brooks says that's not the case. Well, if you want to weigh in on this, give us a call. Uh, first off, we'll go to Edie in Dallas. Edie, thanks for calling. Thank you for having me. I just wanted to call in and comment that as a registered nurse for over 22 years, I've worked very hard for those years. I've been working since the age of 15 prior to my career onset, and I care for those who are ill and in need. Um, I have no problems with working hard. My parents instilled in me that work ethic, but as long as I have worked, I'm 43, and I'm kind of tired. Are you? I 
I wouldn't mind a few days off. And yes, I do, in my middle age years, fear for losing my job because there are nurses that are younger than me that have more energy and stamina. You know, I have noticed, though, that uh, there's been, and I'm, I'm not sure where it stands right now, a shortage of nurses in this country, and it seems like, in a sense, nurses can write their ticket. Is that not the case anymore? It's not really that way. You're still hemmed in by the same political management, ethics, corporate business. It all boils down to a bottom line, ultimately, the profit. Mm-hmm. To make money. The profit motive. And, well, on behalf of the employers, I've been on both sides, employee and management. And I'm not partisan to either. I understand where my priorities lie, but um, ultimately I have to look out for myself and my family because I am the primary breadwinner. Well, Edie, uh, I just want to thank you for your service because anyone who is a nurse is providing a great service to not only the economy, but also just to individuals and, uh, you know, ministering. You are a minister, in a sense, to people in their time of need. So we appreciate that. Thank you so much for calling. You know, uh, this Wall Street Journal article says 69% of working class folks say they would keep working even if they didn't have to. But I would say, as we do... uh, get a little on in uh, years. We do like to have a little more time off because we do get tired, and I think Edie's right there. Let's go to Tom in Dallas. Hi, Tom. Hi, Tana. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I agree that work is biblical and it's good for us, but I'm a first-generation American, and I think something that I have found, too, is that I think to a certain extent, I know a lot of people in certain working or income classes um, work that much because they have to because they've gotten a little bit too greedy my relatives in Germany, who often tease me about the little amount of vacation I get, um, seem to be a lot more content with just where they are in life. And have also, I think, have much tighter family relationships because um, they have spent much more time together as a family because my aunts and uncles did not work as much as uh, my parents necessarily did or, or had to. Um, and I know a lot of people that I work with here, too, have overextended themselves with credit they have bought houses that they couldn't afford, same thing with cars, and mm-hmm. they're working a lot of hours. They don't necessarily complain about it, but they're doing it just to afford their greedy lifestyle. Sometimes we're working just to pay the bill, and as President Bush uh, mentioned, sometimes we've got to work because we've overextended ourselves. Uh, we've gotten a mortgage that we shouldn't get. Well, there is a balance there. Uh, work is good. It's something God laid out for uh, mankind, and uh, it's an opportunity sometimes to minister Uh, But also, sometimes we need to keep our priorities correct. And, of course, that's why it's wonderful to take a day out of the week to worship Him. Well, ladies and gentlemen, next up, we're going to talk about immigration. What's it doing to our society? And a lot more right after this. A legacy of equipping believers, training leaders to be effective in their walk with Christ. That heritage continues at the Criswell College in Dallas, and you can see it firsthand. Thursday, September 13th, come to Preview Day and learn how an education at the Criswell College will prepare you for a future of ministry and a lifetime of service. The Criswell College will grow you spiritually and academically and focus your Christian worldview. Come meet the professors, have lunch, and with two sessions, pick from a list of classes to observe firsthand and ask any questions you may have. 
Your reservation is waiting for Preview Day, September 13th. Call 800-899-0012. That's 800-899-0012. And you'll find more details on the web at chriswell.edu. Take advantage and see the worldwide opportunities the Criswell College can afford you as a full-time student or with classes to round out a biblically-based education. Call 800-899-0012 and reserve your place at Preview Day at the Criswell College in Dallas. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Well, would you be happier at the beach? I wouldn't mind being at the beach right now. Actually, there is no beach here in Dallas, but uh, it'd be nice to be at a beach. But I also love my work, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to work. And uh, that's kind of what we're talking about here on this portion of Jerry Johnson Live today as we move into the Labor Day weekend. Arthur Brooks in the Wall Street Journal says that Americans are working more than Europeans, but we're happy about it. We're smiling about it. And uh, we are taking your calls on this issue. Marla is in Highland Village. Marla, thanks for calling. Marla, are you there, or did we lose you? I guess we lost Marla. Marla, um, if you'd like to call back, you are certainly welcome to do so. I also want to go to uh, something that's going on this weekend here in the Metroplex. It's a first uh, it's called the Texas Straw Poll, and uh, we've noticed this week that one of the uh, uh, potential presidential candidates, Fred Thompson, says he's going to get in the race. He's going to announce that he's going to get in the race. This has been a long, long announcement on September 6th. So uh, he will be officially in the race, we think, at that time. And, of course, uh, the other candidates are out there. Rudy Giuliani in the national polls, all the national polls, is number one. But uh, you wonder what that would be in the state of Texas. Well, we will find out tomorrow. Actually, there will be an announcement of the results of the Texas straw poll. And again, as I said, it's the first straw poll to be held in Texas. And uh, in advance of that, Linda Stringer, KCBI reporter, talked with Hans Klinger, spokesman for the Republican Party of Texas. The Republican Party of Texas is at the Fort Worth Convention Center uh, today, and they're going to be taking a straw poll on the presidential candidates. Uh, Is it correct that this is the first time that Texas has had a straw poll in a presidential election? Yes, it is. Uh, This is the first time um, that Texas has ever endeavored to, uh, to try a straw poll. The first one was done in Iowa in 1979 and pitted uh president uh well former president george bush and uh, former president ronald reagan along with senator john conley uh in 79 and they had about 1300 people that showed up uh for their first straw poll and over the course of 25 years linda they've built that thing into uh into something that's uh, a sight to behold 15 18000 people uh and ours uh will easily eclipse in our maiden voyage their uh, their first run in 79 so we couldn't be more pleased uh Linda Stringer, that's late KCBI's Linda Stringer, speaking with Hans Klinger. He is with the Republican Party of Texas. And uh, they're talking about the Texas straw poll that's taking place. We're going to continue with that story in a moment. But uh, we have a guest right now who I want to bring in uh, because we've been talking about the issue of work and workers. And part of that equation, of course, is the whole idea of immigration and illegal immigration, legal immigration, The question uh, whether or not America needs illegal immigrants. We know we need the legal immigrants that are in our country. 
Well, what about the illegals? And there's been a new study out that deals with these issues. And uh, so we thought we'd bring in Stephen Camerata, who is with the Center for Immigration Studies, to talk about it. Stephen, tell us about your new study. I understand that it basically says that by 2060, we'll have um, more than 100 million more people if we keep allowing immigration as it stands. Is that correct? Right. Uh, at the current pace of immigration, we'll add 167 million people to the U.S. population by 2060, that is in 53 years, and 105 million of that will be from future immigrants who've yet to arrive, but who will arrive, uh, plus the, you know, their descendants, the children and grandchildren they'll have. Are you taking into um, consideration illegal and legal immigration? Yeah, about a third, a little more than a third, about 36% of this is from future illegal immigration, assuming it would stay at the current level, and about two-thirds is from future legal immigration. Remember, legal immigration is extremely high. We uh, Last year, for example, we allowed 1.2 million people to settle permanently in the United States. You know, we gave them green cards. Um, now, illegal immigration is also high as well, but... Um, you know, most of the people come in, come in legally. So um, illegal immigration is what drives this increase in the U.S. population. All right. Something else I noticed about your study is that you have concluded from the study that this would not have a big effect on the aging of our society because we know that our society is aging. Uh, People are living longer. And, of course, it's uh, going to affect our Social Security and Medicare systems. But this whole, um, this number, these numbers that you're talking about are not going to have a big effect on that? No, no, that's right. Um, and, and, and that may surprise some people, but it doesn't surprise demographers, the people who study human populations. Um, basically, if we continue on our current level, which is about 1.25 million net immigrants a year, that's the difference between the number of people coming and going. If we were to continue that um, by 2060, uh, basically, the ratio of workers to retirees would be about the same. Now, there is going to be a big decline, but basically, the current level of immigration uh, will offset about 12% of that decline. In other words, if we had zero immigration, the ratio of working age people to retirees would be uh, about 12% worse than if we continue on our current level. If we doubled immigration, legal and illegal, and we had, say, 2.5 million net immigration, which would mean actual new arrivals would be over 3 million. But if we just talk about net immigration of 2.5 million, so we doubled it, still about 80% of the aging would take place. So immigration is largely irrelevant to the aging of American society because the immigrants age just like everyone else. And although they do have somewhat larger families, the differences with natives are not large enough. So the immigrants we take in now actually become tomorrow's retirees. And so it doesn't really fix or help the problem very much. You would have to take in very, very young immigrants, which we really don't. Immigrants are somewhat younger than natives, but not a lot. And they'd have to take in immigrants who have many, many children. And, of course, that's generally not true of any group. So there's no way to use immigration to fix the problem of an aging society, which is a real problem. It's just that immigration isn't going to do it. The one way you can fix, say, Social Security is to move the retirement age back. Mm-hmm. Um, that does have a big effect, but not, just to give you one example, if we put the retirement age up to 70, that would have the effect of about 
5 million new immigrants every year for 50 years, or net immigration of about 4 million. Okay, so you disagree with the Wall Street Journal, who has been saying uh, for weeks now during this immigration debate that we need these people in order to deal with our uh, entitlement systems. Listen, uh, I think you guys make a great point in this study, and it's an important study. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it, Steve. Thank you. Happy Labor Day. You too. Uh, And, of course, this Labor Day weekend is, again, as I said, the Texas straw poll taking place out in Fort Worth. And KCBI's Linda Stringer uh, has been uh, or did an interview pre-straw poll with Hans Klinger. Uh, He is with the Republican Party of Texas. And uh, she asked him why it's important to have this straw poll. He says it's really because the U.S. primary process starts so early. What has transpired and what the vision for this event was was to bring grassroots GOP leaders from around the state together to give them the ability to voice their choice for who they want to be president of the United States in 2008. Uh, Unfortunately for Texas, uh, we did not uh, move our primary date up, so we are still a March primary, and about 60% of the delegates are going to be chosen before it ever gets to Texas. So this may be the only chance Texas has uh, to voice their choice. Texas is one of the states that's not in the race to make its primary first. We just had a report yesterday, actually just today, that Michigan leaped to the head of the presidential primary lineup. Uh, Actually, they did announce this yesterday. They set their date at January 15th. And uh, so that would be the biggest primary in state history. That's a key battleground for Republican and Democratic nominations. And uh, so that it takes them ahead of Iowa and New Hampshire. Well, you know that Iowa and New Hampshire are not going to stand for that. So there's this constant jockeying and race for what states are going to be first. But Texas is way back there in March. So Texas, even though we're a large state, don't we don't have a lot of influence with regard to getting the process going. And so that's one reason why Texas is holding a straw poll. Another purpose, says Hans Klingler in this interview with Linda Stringer, is to energize the base. The people that are eligible to actually vote, Linda, are Republicans who have been a delegate or alternate to one of the last four Republican state conventions or a delegate or alternate to one of the last two Republican national conventions. And which candidates are expected to show up? Congressman Duncan Hunter is already here. He's, I just left him over at the convention center. Congressman Ron Paul, who's one of Texas' own congressmen who's running. Uh, Mr. John Cox, who is a businessman from Illinois. Uh, Hugh Court, who is a uh, forensic psychologist from uh, Pennsylvania, who is a homeland security expert. Uh, and a gentleman named Ray McKinney, who is a oil and gas energy expert uh, from Georgia. And obviously the major candidates not in that list any thoughts on that? We are, we are incredibly grateful for the ones that are here, uh, and we hope that the ones that decided not to participate in this important event uh, don't take Texas grassroots for granted. Uh, I think this is, uh, this is something that's incredibly important uh, for them to be a part of, and they need to come to Texas to talk issues and not treat uh, Texas just like a giant ATM. I haven't heard of half of these candidates that are going to be at the Texas straw poll, so I'm not so sure about this straw poll. But uh, one thing is that uh, those who are voting, these people who are activists in the Republican Party of Texas, get to vote for anybody. The list includes everybody that's running. So it will be interesting to see. The winner will actually be announced at 3.30 or 4 o'clock on Saturday, and so we'll know uh, what these activists in the Texas Republican Party think about the candidates. Uh, They may just bypass the ones who actually uh, appear here 
and say in their voting what they really think. We'll see about that. Texas tends to be a very pro-life, pro-family, conservative uh, Republican Party. So uh, next week we'll report to you the results of the Texas straw poll. Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the program, Owen Wilson's suicide attempt has us thinking about this issue. How do families grapple with it and deal with it? His family lives here in Dallas. They're a close family, and I know they're all kind of hovering around and uh, really uh, trying to stick together on this. We're going to talk with Debbie Turner about this issue of suicide next on Jerry Johnson Live. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's Penna Dexter. This out of the Dallas Morning News earlier this week to millions of moviegoers around the world. He's a goofy, happy-go-lucky actor whose life took a sudden, horrible turn last weekend. His apparent suicide attempt is a subject of tabloid and talk show speculation. Few know what really happened and much less why. He's a native of Dallas. Pop culture phenomenon, Owen Wilson. Uh, you might remember him from a recent movie, One Night at the Museum. Uh, he uh, co-starred with Jackie Chan in some of those movies. He's an Oscar nominee for screenwriting a movie, The Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, the Wedding Crashers is one of his movies, You, Me, and Dupre. And, uh, you know, he looks pretty happy out there on the big screen. He's got a close family, and they live here in Dallas. His dad, Bob Wilson, is a former executive with KERA-TV Channel 13. Uh, he started the renowned program Newsroom in 1970. The family moved here from New England in the 60s, uh, and his mom is an acclaimed photographer. They're rallying around him right now uh, with this suicide attempt and, of course, trying to keep uh, some of the details out of the media out of the press, but it really brings to mind the fact that suicide is a problem in the culture, and it hits families, all kinds of families, even Christian families, and with us to talk about it uh, is someone I met recently. Her name is Debbie Turner, and she has a story to tell because she was touched by this. Her son, a young man in his uh, early 20s, committed suicide a few years ago. She's written a book about it to help other people called Trees Wear Glasses, Don't They? A Call to Faith. And Debbie, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Pema. It's great to have the opportunity. Well, it's wonderful to talk with you again. And uh, Debbie is the president of an employment services firm in Greenwood, South Carolina. She's also a gifted speaker, and really her heart is to help others dealing with some of these situations. But Debbie, first of all, just uh, when you heard about this suicide attempt of Owen Wilson, what came to your mind? Well, it, it brought back a lot of memories for me. My, my heart goes out to that family and to all of those who, who love this young man. He's obviously surrounded by a, a lot of close family and friends. And I, I know the heartache and the, the helplessness that you feel when someone close to you is struggling with um, possible substance abuse issues and, and feelings of depression. It feels as though it's out of your control and there's nothing you can do to help, even though your heart longs to. Debbie, I know uh, from talking to you and also from your book that you, um, with two sons, have always been a very dedicated mother, and you had high hopes and dreams for your two boys uh, who grew up into young men, but it doesn't always turn out that way, does it? It doesn't. Tell us what happened. Sure. Um, until about three and a half years ago, 
my life from the outside looking in would have appeared to be ideal. I had realized my dream of becoming a successful and influential businesswoman. I owned my own employment firm, had a wonderful family. We were very close and loving, and I also had the financial ability to possess anything that I desired pretty much. And so you would think that everything in my life would have been perfect. But for the seven years prior to that, my life had truly been a roller coaster behind those closed doors because Stephen, when he was 14 years old, began to experiment, they call it, with marijuana. And that became a downward spiral for him. He changed from a bright, engaging honors student to someone who I felt as though was a stranger to me. He became frequently moody and angry and unreasonable, and nothing I tried to do to stop that self-destructive force within him seemed to have any effect at all. So, we Did you ever think that, uh, that suicide might be a possibility for him? You know, the thought crossed my mind so many times, and I think I lived in constant fear of a telephone call that was going to bring me some devastating news about Stephen because of the the lifestyle choices he was making. I didn't know what the end result would be, but I lived in fear of it. And actually, in the weeks preceding Stephen's suicide, he had made the comment to me that he was thinking about it, But it didn't seem like a real possibility to me because we had worked through these issues with him for so many years. And he always said that it was something that he thought about but that he would never actually do because he realized the impact that it would have upon his family. And he loved us so much. And I truly felt that that barrier, that force of my love for him would be enough to save him. And on December 19, 2003, at approximately 11.30 p.m., I discovered that it wasn't. Well, Debbie, I won't have you go into the details of what you felt that night, because we can all imagine that you are absolutely devastated. But, um, you know, as I read from the back of the book jacket of your book, Trees Wear Glasses, Don't They? It says, Debbie Turner's life was decorated with everything the world told her she needed to achieve happiness. That world fell apart the night her 21-year-old son committed suicide. And what's happened, though, is God has used what happened, this tragedy in your life, to enable you, first, to strengthen you and bring you to Him, and second of all, to enable you to help others. Tell us how that happened. Sure. At the time that Stephen died, I was I had completely embraced the secular worldview that to achieve success in life, we needed to acquire material possessions, we needed to be admired and appreciated by our peers, and to have all of those family relationships that mean so much to us and are important. But even though my life was decorated with those things, I still felt this aching emptiness inside and this yearning that nothing could seem to satisfy. But I believed that if I just acquired enough or achieved the next level of recognition that I would hit that target. Well, when Stephen died, it was as though the entire foundation of my belief system disintegrated beneath me. And so not only did I lose my son, and that was the most devastating thing, but I had nothing to cling to. 
because although I had been saved at the age of 12 years old, I had really turned my back on God. And if it had even occurred to me to turn back to Him, I would have imagined Him to be standing there with His arms folded, just shaking His head in disappointment and judgment about my poor choices. And what I discovered is a couple of months after Stephen died, I fell to my knees in total desperation because I realized in that moment that regardless of all of the people in my life who loved me, that still I needed something more or I wasn't going to make it. I, I couldn't live with this feeling that I had failed in the most important responsibility of my life. And so I fell to my knees and I cried out to God and said, you know, I don't know if you're even there but what I realize right now is that I have to know the answer to that question. And God began to reach into my life through um, unusual coincidences that I thought they were then. I now realize there's, there's no such thing. Um, but he began to speak to me and draw me to him. And I won't say that the pain immediately evaporated the moment I accepted God and his truth and put my faith totally within him. It didn't. It was a process, but what he gave me was that strength and that hope that we truly can't live without, and I, I'm afraid that that's what has happened to this young man that you're speaking of tonight, that he has reached a place in his life where he's tried everything that our society has told him mm -hmm. he needs to be happy, and he has those things. You know, he's an attractive young man, he has wealth, he's admired and he's applauded by the world and yet he's empty and i am just praying with all of my heart that god uses people to reach into his life and share god's truth with him because he's still alive there is still hope that he can turn his life around and find the one true answer that can satisfy that yearning. Certainly there's hope, and uh, you have to know that there are a lot of people coming around him now with certain answers that are not the answer that you speak about. Right. Debbie Turner is my guest, and Debbie, I'm wondering, since we're coming up on a break, if you can stay with us through the break, because I want to open up the phones uh, in case anyone wants to ask you a question or make a comment who maybe has possibly gone through this experience themselves. Can you stay with me a minute? Certainly. Great. Debbie Turner is my guest. And again, as I said, her book is Trees Wear Glasses, Don't They? A Call to Faith. The number is 800-881-9270. Debbie, uh, before the break, can you just tell us about the title of the book? Sure. Um, the title is representative of putting your total trust in God so that you reach a place in your relationship with him that anything at all can happen in your life. It it doesn't matter whether or not it makes sense. It doesn't matter whether or not you even like it. You just accept God's sovereignty and his love for you and are willing to trust him with everything you have and everything you are. Trees wear glasses, don't they? A call to faith. It's really about trusting God when it doesn't seem to make sense to trust God or when the circumstances just don't make sense to you. Her son was troubled. Since age 14, she did everything she could to try to bring him happiness, to try to help him. He ended up committing suicide at age 21, and now she is here uh, to, if you have a, a comment about this or maybe a question, if you're going through something similar, she would love 
to talk with you about that in the remaining moments that we have here on the program. Again, the number is 800-881-9270. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live, and uh, we do already have some calls coming in. We probably need need another couple of hours to talk about this subject, but it's something we need to touch on here as we think about the sovereignty of God in our lives. So stay with us for more of Jerry Johnson Live. A legacy of equipping believers, training leaders to be effective in their walk with Christ. That heritage continues at the Criswell College in Dallas, and you can see it firsthand. Thursday, September 13th, come to Preview Day and learn how an education at the Criswell College will prepare you for a future of ministry and a lifetime of service. The Criswell College will grow you spiritually and academically and focus your Christian worldview. Come meet the professors, have lunch, and with two sessions, pick from a list of classes to observe firsthand and ask any questions you may have. Your reservation is waiting for Preview Day, September 13th. Call 800-899-0012. That's 800-899-0012. And you'll find more details on the web at chriswell.edu. Take advantage and see the worldwide opportunities the Criswell College can afford you as a full-time student or with classes to round out a biblically-based education. Call 800-899-0012 and reserve your place at Preview Day at the Criswell College in Dallas. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. The news of the suicide attempt of actor Owen Wilson has brought us to a subject that uh, is really a sensitive subject in a sense. It's a sad subject, and that is a suicide of a family member. Debbie Turner is with us, and uh, Debbie basically uses the tragedies in her life and the things she's learned to minister to others, not only in situations of family members committing suicide, but really anything uh, tragic or sad that might affect your life. She calls people to come to faith through those circumstances. And Debbie, um, I know that you speak uh, at various events, and uh, how can people find out more about your ministry? Okay, um, the best method would be through my website, which is www.calltofaith.net. And on the website, I have a lot of great material that people would find very encouraging and uplifting and material to help draw them into deeper intimacy with the Lord. There's also information about um, my schedule and the different types of events that God is using me to reach into the hearts of others through. So I've I welcome feedback. There's also um, a way to contact me through that website with my email address and phone number and that sort of thing. We've been talking about work today on the program and because we're coming into Labor Day weekend. And, you know, when we think about work in this American culture, we can get into this whole idea that being uh, successful, financial and business success is, is next to godliness, mm-hmm. uh, Debbie. And you you found out, and you are financially successful, you, you made it on your own in the business world, and uh, you had the trappings of success, but you found out that real success 
in life goes beyond that, doesn't it? That's right. I made the mistake that so many others do of determining our self-worth or our identity by who the world perceives us to be based upon the roles that we play in the business world. And it it leaves you empty. It's a a dead-end street and a set of bankrupt values. But I learned that the hard way. And so I'm trying to use any opportunity that I have, whether it's through my work or through my ministry for the Lord, to reach out to others who are still caught on that endless wheel, that endless cycle of trying to get to the goal, the place where you're going to feel a sense of completeness and satisfaction and happiness. And without the Lord, I've discovered that it's impossible. But with the Lord, even when you endure heartbreaking tragedy or devastating setbacks in your life, with God by your side and His power working through you, you can live with the assurance that you will never be broken, that your life can never be shattered because you're always clinging to that hope that any trial you face in this life is temporary and that God has something far better planned for you and can even use those temporary trials for your benefit. And it's certainly not that we don't just feel this devastating sadness, but we can also... Uh, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, have the peace that passes all understanding and uh, know that he will bring us through the trial. Let's go now to Teresa in Arlington. Teresa, you're on with Debbie Turner. Hi, um, I just wanted to make a comment. Um, my um, my biologic father um, killed himself when I was 12. And um, I he was a drug addict his whole life, and um, he just he just got really messed up. He was abused as a child. And um, he he just couldn't take it anymore. And so um, July of 1988, he decided that that was it, and he killed himself. Mm-hmm. Well, we hear those wonderful voices in the background. Uh, <laughs> Debbie, uh, drugs is often a way that people try to fill that void, but uh, it doesn't fill it, does it? No. At the time of Stephen's death, he had experimented and abused various drugs over those seven years, but at the time that he died, he was addicted to methamphetamine. And drugs, they they seem to offer an excitement and uh, uh, self-assurance that you don't find in regular everyday life. And so for someone who's already struggling with that void, they they tend to feel it temporarily because they create the sense of artificial happiness, but it's truly the worst form of bondage you can ever experience. And my heart just goes out to this woman who just called because I know that the pain that you carry within your heart, the sense of responsibility, and even as a child, she probably felt a sense of guilt that somehow it was her fault that she didn't do enough. And that's one of the worst aspects of this whole tragedy is the heartbreak that it leaves in the lives of all of those who desperately love the person who's chosen that that means of escape. Let's take another call. Lois is in Dallas. Lois, thank you for calling. Hello. Hi, Lois. Uh, My son committed suicide the 5th of March this year. Uh, He was 38 years old. Mm -hmm. And... um, you know, before this, I could not really say I'd been through a divorce and a lot of bad things in my life, but 
I thought I had experienced the peace of God, you know, through the midst of the storm, but I had not. Mm-hmm. And I can truly say for anyone that's listening that God can give you peace in the midst of a storm. God bless you. Will you mourn and will you weep? Yes, you will. But God sustains you. And uh, he has sustained me and he's kept me and he's helped me. I've got a wonderful pastor and his wife Mm -hmm. that have uh, really stood with me on this. My husband's not saved. And he was his stepdad anyway, but, I mean, it hurt him too. But uh, I finally come to the realization, and, and we fail to realize this at times, that these are decisions that they make. We have nothing to do with them. And so all the guilt and, and everything that the that Satan tries to put up on us is not ours to carry. That's right. Lois, uh, I've got to let you go because uh, we are coming up on the end of the program, but I think you made, I, I appreciate your call, and I think you made the final point uh, that we need to make today, and that is we can remove the guilt through faith in Jesus Christ, and uh, it's natural to feel some guilt if a family member commits suicide or is thinking about it. Uh, But, Debbie, would you agree with me that uh, the answer to that guilt is through faith in Christ? Absolutely. And that can be the hardest thing for us to let go of is that guilt. But once you give it to the Lord and he frees you from that bondage, then you are truly set free. Satan tries to paralyze us with that guilt. But um, God is the path to liberation. And I just encourage all of your listeners, because I, I imagine there are many out there who have either experienced these feelings for themselves or are dealing with the the depression of a loved one. Mm-hmm. And I just encourage them to draw closer to the Lord. I've got to step in, Debbie. We are about to end the program. It's a hard ending, but I so appreciate your ministry. Debbie Turner's been with us. The website is calltofaith.net. Uh, we will join you next week. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.